0: Here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to church. Hope you guys are having a good week, good weekend. We want to welcome you if you're visiting. I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. And after the service, I would love to get to meet you. We have a reception behind this door here. And for all of our guests, we're going to give you the 3-2-1 challenge. Are you ready for it? Try us out for three Sundays. Try out two different small groups and have coffee or tea, if you don't like coffee, with one of our church leaders. We really want to get a chance to know you and hear your story and just to let you know that we're here for you. Let us pray as we prepare our heart for the word. Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. I thank you for all those who are listening online. I pray your blessing would be upon them. Father, as we talk about the topic of community today, help us to realize that we need one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I heard a story about a country church, and a senior adult lady was trying to get up the stairs, so a friendly usher assisted her up the stairs, and as, as she got up to the top, he's like, can I help you find a seat? And she said, I want to sit at the very front. And he's like, you don't really want to do that. And she said, why not? And he said, well, the pastor is kind of boring, and I'm afraid if you sit on the front, you may fall asleep. And she said, do you know who I am? And he said, no ma'am, I do not. She said, I am the pastor's mother. And he didn't know what to say. He was a little sheepish. And he said, uh, do you know who I am? She said, no. And he said, good. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the importance of community, how we are not ourselves by ourselves. And I've asked four members of my small group to come up, Andersons and Bells come up, they're going to be sitting on stage. How many of you guys remember the old throne chairs they used to have on the, that have the church leadership? So we're kind of bringing that back in a contemporary way. And I'm doing this to demonstrate right now you guys are in rows, but in a small group you're in circles and in rows it's really good for hearing the word of God taught, but in circles that's where you get community. That's where you find friendship. And sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor, no one ever said hello to me in the worship service. I didn't get to know anyone's name. And my response is, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. I don't actually say that, but I think that. The response is, you're looking for community, but community is not found in rows. Community is found in circles. So what you're wanting is a valid thing, but you don't get it in a large crowd. You get it in a small group. So today we're going to look at the early church, Acts chapter 2. And just to kind of set the stage, in Acts 1, the believers were waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. In Acts 1, the believers had been empowered, some of them for three and a half years, by Jesus. In Acts 2, they go from being equipped to being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So think about that. They're equipped, but now they're empowered. In Acts 1, Jesus goes up. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. So what we're going to see is what happens in the early church. And today I only have three points for you. Someone said amen. Sometimes it's like ten points. Just three points. And this is the benefit of a thriving church family. So go ahead and turn there. And welcome to my, my circle on stage. They get to hang out. I told them they don't have to talk. But if something's good, you can say amen. That's okay. They're a little horse from the Tennessee game. Any Tennessee fans out there? All right, there we go. And I understand they won last night, so that's good. And Joe's wearing orange in the back, so. All right, so the question we're going to ask and hopefully answer by the end is this question. Are you fully connected to your church family? Are you fully connected to your church family? Starting in verse 41 of Acts 2, and welcome to those online. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. How interesting we did that today. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. How many people were added to the church? About 3,000. And what's fascinating about that, it means that somebody was in the room counting. How many counters do we have? Our finance people, our CPAs. And in church, people get debates, should you count, should you not? Well, the early church counted. And the person that counted said, you know, I I estimate about 3,000, plus or minus some. And, you know, people debate... You know, is it spiritual to count? Is it not? Well, let's just say there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. I'm just saying. All right. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods. And divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Above that, if you want to write in your Bibles, you may want to put rows. In the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. That would be circles. So they met in rows and in circles. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. May God bless his word. So here you see the early church. And you see how the early church got its origin. When the Holy Spirit fell and the believers were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The early church was birthed. And Jesus made this declaration. I will build my church And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail. So what I want to do is look at this very familiar passage. Some of you may be the first time seeing it. For many of you, you've heard this in church a lot. But let's talk about community. Let's talk about you and I. Let's talk about I am not myself by myself. So the first truth is this. A thriving church family is engaged daily in the holy habits. So notice in verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And about how many people got saved? About 3,000. So I want you to see whenever God's word is being preached. I want you to get this community principle. and you're listening to God. Whenever people are praying, whenever God's word is being preached, and whenever the Holy Spirit is present, what happens? Amazing things happen. So if you want to be a church that experiences God moving, we need to be about passionate praying. We need to be about preaching the word with purpose. And we need to invite the Holy Spirit to come down. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is present. So when I say come, I don't mean that there's anywhere where God's not present. What I am saying is there are times when you can experience the Spirit moving. And there's other times that are like, I don't experience God. God's there, but it's different when you experience the presence of God. So notice the first thing that happened when people got saved is they did what? They got baptized. So in the early church, there was no such thing, at least in the origin, when it first started, as, all right, you got saved, now let's have a confirmation class. Let's make sure you're really saved. Let's go through the apostles' doctrine and creeds before you get baptized. No, they went over those type things, the apostles' doctrine, but they got baptized immediately. And the reason for that is, whenever you get saved, you go from death to life. You go from darkness to light. So it was such a drastic change in a person's life that they immediately, like, alright, let's, let's go ahead and get baptized. Let's have a public declaration. So if you are a Christian but have never been baptized, this is an invitation to join what the early church did. Don't wait or don't delay. Baptism is first base of the Christian life. A lot of us want to hit a home run, but you can't hit a home run unless you first go to first base. And that's, that's baptism. So they continued in that. And I want you to notice that it says they continued daily. And if you go back in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly in the original language, it's not like a once in a while. It's not, I'm a CEO Christian, meaning I go to church on... Christmas and Easter only, in some special occasions. And if that's you, we welcome you here. But it's that the Greek word is the idea of persisting in, continuing in. In other words, you're so committed to it, you're so involved in it, that you're doing this, not occasionally, but daily. It's part of your lifestyle. And I want you to see the holy habits that they're engaged in. First of all, you have Bible study. They studied the apostles' doctrine What was the apostles' doctrine? Well, doctrine is a fancy word for teaching. So whenever Peter would preach, teach, they would listen and say, all right, listen to what Peter has to say about the Lord Jesus. Whenever Paul, who came later in Acts, would preach, they would listen. They didn't have a New Testament yet completely written. That came a little later as they wrote down the the teachings of Paul and Peter and others. But they had the Old Testament. They had oral preaching. So what this looks like today is that we take the Bible and we study it together because we have the preaching already recorded. And no preacher that's really preaching can preach anything but the Word, right? That's the only thing that has power. I could talk politics, but politics don't have power. They don't have the power to change anyone's life. I could talk social agendas, and that those come and go, but the gospel is the only thing that has the power to change lives. And that's why, as long as I'm pastoring here, we're going to preach the Word. I'm not going to preach political agendas or... Any, any things that we may be passionate, those have their place. But the only thing that has the power to change the world is the gospel, not a political agenda. If, if it did have the power, the world would be changed by politics a long time ago. That's why we stick to the word. So they did Bible study and they also did something called fellowship. Whenever we think of fellowship, what do you think of growing up? You think of the fellowship hall which normally meant you ate donuts and had coffee. If you grew up on this side of town, it was Dunkin' Donuts was Fellowship. If you grew up in West Asheville side, it was Krispy Kreme. How many Krispy Kreme people are out there? All right, how many Dunkin' Donuts? All right, I, I, I like both, but my wife can tell you Krispy Kreme has more vanilla cream in the donuts. Dunkin', they skimp on the white vanilla cream. So it's just, it's only half satisfying. So here's the thing, Fellowship, In the original day, it involved food, but it didn't end with food. It was two or more believers coming together for community, for connection, but also for change. I want to say that again. It's believers coming together for community connection, but also for change. We are here on a mission. Our mission is not just to have a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. Our mission is not just to have three cups of coffee. Our mission is coming together so that together we change the world. That was the idea. Does anybody know what the original Greek word is? Kim, I know you know this. Koinonia. All right, koinonia. So if you forget, just think about two coins. Koinonia, two people coming together. So they met for fellowship. And continue on. The next phrase they met with, they met to pray. They prayed together. So prayer is not just a personal activity you do between you and God. It's also a public activity. It's a corporate activity. And many in the first service confess that I have a problem praying in public. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you have a problem praying in public, maybe you have a problem pl- praying in rows. But did you know it's easier to pray in circles when you get a small group together? That's, that's a good way to practice publicly is just uttering prayers together. And that's what happens in small groups. And notice it says they broke bread together. The idea of breaking bread together is they ate a meal together And then at the end of the meal, does anybody remember what they did at the end of the meal? They partook of of the Lord's Supper. So in the first service, I went on a few rants. Lee Beeson's like, hold back on some of the rants for this service. But one of the rants I went on was was, in my 20s, I was pastoring a church, and a guy rebuked me for having food in church. He's like, you know, you're not supposed to eat in church. And choking on a cracker, I responded, you know, they ate the Lord's Supper. It was a meal they shared together so you obviously have not read Acts 2. I didn't quite, yeah, you can clap for that. It's like they ate together. So I think maybe he was from a high church where they didn't eat together, but community is breaking bread together. It's having fellowship together. And yes, they did partake in the Lord's Supper, not just in the temple, but in house to house. So you can do communion as a small group. Isn't that exciting? So they had prayer, and notice what happened next. Not only did they pray together together, But they worshipped. The Bible says that they met daily in the temple and from house to house. And I just want to encourage you, worship takes place not just on Sundays, but worship takes place between Sundays. And I want you to think about it. How many of you this morning said, I'm going to church? Raise your hand. You did go to church. But did you know that you are the church going to church? Did you know when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So get this. This is a gathering of little churches together. I don't just go to church, but I am the church going to church. Look at the person next to you and say, how's your church doing? Is your church growing? Is it struggling? How's your church going? Because listen, you are the church. It reminds me, another story. Someone once got rebuked for wearing a hat in the church. He got rebuked by a deacon. It wasn't in this church. But the guy said, you know, I'm not wearing the hat in the church. I'm wearing the hat on the church. Interesting, huh? (laughs) So here's the thing. They met together. But notice it says the Lord added daily those who are being saved. So not only did Bible study and prayer and worship and fellowship take place, but also evangelism. What would it be like to be part of a thriving church where people got saved every day? Wouldn't that be crazy to see that? I mean, it's great to see baptisms weekly, but what if people got saved daily? What if we had to, like, all right, we have to do a baptism service like every day? Like, let's 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 think outside the box. Let's let's baptize in the river. Let's baptize in your home pool. Let's. I mean, we got so many people. We would spend all day baptizing with all the people getting saved. So let's think outside the box. You know, a lot of times we think baptism takes place in the baptistry. But that's just one tool. Did you know you can get baptized in the river? I got baptized in the pool. All that matters is you go under and you come up, right? That's it. So let's not fall in love with the methods, but let's realize that God wants us to get the word out. So how would people get saved daily? What would that look like? Well, whenever you get excited about Jesus, Jesus begins to emerge from your life in what you say, your talk, and your walk. Have you ever been excited by, like, Tennessee football or something like that? It happens. It comes out. You talk about it. You scream so loud. You lose your voice. Jordan can't talk this morning because of the game. Now, here's just a question. What would happen if you got so excited about Jesus that every day was game day, not just Sunday? Every day became a game day. And you're like, I, I'm on the winning team. And listen, you may lose a battle, but you already have won the war. So if I know I'm not fighting for victory, but I'm fighting from victory, every day is game day and every day we win, even if we have a losing day, we still are winners in the end. Amen. So that's, that's what's going on. People are getting saved. Lives are being transformed. So look at your community principle and your listening guide. I want to zoom in on this. True community takes place not only on Sundays, but also throughout the week. Fellowship happens when believers meet together to pray for one another, share a meal together. They pray for one another, worship Jesus, remember the Lord's death and taking communion. So I want you guys to think about that. What would happen if you not only invited someone to church, but you invited them into your lives? Think about that. What happened if you not only invited people to church, but you invited them into your lives? Come to my house. And here's the thing about fellowship let me say a fellowship can often be a little messy. Some of you are like, I'll invite you over when my house is clean. Now, listen, if if we're in fellowship together, it means we're living life together. So you come over when my house is messy because you need to see my life as it is, not as I pretend or want it to be. Because if I'm putting on a facade, I'm not being genuine. If I'm being real, you come over when the kids are screaming, when the house is trash, and maybe we'll work together on it. But I, I'm not going to invite you in my life is all neat and pretty because that's not real fellowship. That's a presentation. There's a difference between presentation and living life together. Do people know what you look like without your makeup on? Do people know what you look like with your hair all messed up? Do people know what you're like to be around when you're in a bad attitude? And you're like, I don't have a bad attitude. Let me hang out with you a little while and we'll, we'll discover each other. We have good days and we have days that are more challenging. That's fellowship. So I want you to think about this thriving church. They entered into this. All right, number two, second principle about a thriving church family. A thriving church family is connecting constantly in one another's lives. Connecting constantly. All right, I want my rest of my small group to come on stage just for a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you guys. If you're part of the 30s and 40s group, come on up. Let's give them a hand as they come up. Now with kids and all, if everyone shows up, we have as many as 30 in our group. It's, it's, it's big and growing. The kids outnumber the adults, thanks to my wife and I, so. And Adam. Where's Adam at? I saw Adam coming up. He's right. How many kids are you up to now? Four. 17. Four. <laughs> there are four currently, currently. So here's the thing. Life is really good when we can get in circles. So the challenge I have for you, if you're in a row, which you are right now, but you're not in a circle, I want you to join a circle. Because whenever people have struggles, guess what happens in a small group? They rally around. We recently had a family in our small group that needed financial help. And the church rallied around them and took care of a a light bill. You know, And your small groups, people are in the hospital. Guess what? Your small group's the first to rally around. And some of you are hesitant, I'm not going to make you guys stand up much longer, but some of you are hesitant that, you know, I tried fellowship before, but I got hurt. I tried getting close, but when I get close, I get hurt. And it's kind of like what one German philosopher said, we're all like porcupines. That whenever the night gets cold, porcupines huddle together on a cold night. But what happens when you huddle together? You begin to poke one another, right? What are those things called? Quills. Quills. Thank you. I I didn't remember in the first service either. Quills. And it's like we begin to quill each other and then we go away into the cold night and die of loneliness. But here's the thing. Even if you've been hurt, it doesn't give you permission to stop trying. What if you had that philosophy with your spouse? As soon as my wife or husband hurts me, I'm out of here. Your marriage wouldn't last longer than a week after the honeymoon. What if you had that philosophy with your kids? As soon as my kids mess up, they're out of here. Your kids have been disowned a long time ago. So why do we have that with Christians? Why do we have a one or two strikes and you're out? Let me ask you a question. Has any of you ever gotten food poisoning before at a restaurant? Did you stop eating? You just went to a different restaurant, right? So here's the thing. If you've been hurt, we don't minimize the hurt at all, but we say let the great physician heal that. But you are created for community. You are not yourself by yourself. All right, let's give my small group a hand. Except for you four, you've got to stay. So my challenge to you is to think about what it's like to connect in each other's lives. So we're going to go back to the early church. Notice how they connected. Notice what it looked like. What does the Christian community look like? Some of you may have never experienced true community. Well, if you look on your listening guide, Christian community functions like a family. Notice it says that the believers were together. It's hard for us to experience community apart. Did you know that since COVID in America, seven out of ten people have not returned to worship? Did you know that? And it's like they've been out of connection for more than two years. And it's hard to experience community looking at my screen. And I, I celebrate all the, those of you listening online. But listen, it's time to get back to community. And let me tell you why. In the New Testament, there are 59 one another's in the New Testament. Let's, let's throw this on the screen here. Next slide, one another's. And you can't read all that, but love one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do good to one another. Don't bite and devour one another. Serve one another. Now that John um, thirteen fourteen, wash the feet of one another. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we'll think of something. Maybe it's me cleaning your bathroom. That's my way of washing your feet. I don't know. But th- there's a way of serving one another. So if you're not in community and you're like, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Here's the question. How can you do the one another's of scripture alone it's really hard even in rows it's hard to do the one another's in an audience like this the only way we can really do the one another's is in a circle and i don't know about you but i think you're like me i want to follow jesus and i want to follow his teachings and if i really want to be a fully committed christian i have to be in life with others the one another's of scripture And notice what happens in Christian community. It's held together by the unity of our focus on Jesus. Notice in verse number 44, they were together, they had all things in common. Now let me explain what this doesn't mean before we talk about what it means. All things in common is not talking about uniformity. It's talking about unity. What is uniformity? Uniformity is certain churches that teach you have to look like me, dress like me, talk like me, listen to the exact same genre of music as I, or you're not with it. That's called legalism. Whenever I preach tradition as truth, things that are not in the Bible as truth, that's legalism. I remember in certain Christian circles I've been in in my life, there were certain thoughts that if you didn't listen to a certain genre of Christian music, if it had a beat, it had to be sinful because that's just like the world. And it, but they were allowed to listen to country music that has a beat, but it was country, right? It's got to be good if it's country. Um, there are certain things you couldn't do, but certain th- and when I begin to dissect it, it's like, this is not in the Bible. This is like your version of Christianity back from whatever era you're coming from. What we got to do is go back to the scriptures. What did the Bible actually teach? When it talks about they were together and had all things in common, it's saying that their focus was on Jesus. He's what held them together, unity in Christ, not we've got to look alike, dress alike, drive the same type of car, have the same house. No, not uniformity, but unity. And thank God, if you guys all looked and dressed like me, we'd be in problem, okay? It'd be kind of weird. Christian community thrives as believers put others ahead of each other. Look at verse 45. They sold their possessions in goods divided them among all as anyone had need. So the idea of that is not that everyone went around homeless, but the idea as the Spirit prompted certain people. I mentioned Brian Worley. He doesn't have a house in Vegas, but I said, Brian, if you sold your house in Vegas, but you kept your house in Florida, and your house here, would would that hurt you financially? He said, no, I wish I had a house in Vegas. But the idea is not that they went around homeless because they still met house to house. The idea was many had a surplus, and they saw a brother or sister in need. And we use this as an example. This church, we've had at least three different cars given away to this church. So it's like if you have a single mom that has no vehicle, but you have a church member that has 10, is it going to hurt the one that has 10 to, to give one to the single mom? What do you guys say? Yes or no? No, but it's not forced or mandated. It's as the spirit prompts you. Generosity flows from the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Hey, there's a single mom that has no car. You have 10. It's not going to hurt you to help the single mom. Amen. So that's kind of what was happening is it was Holy Spirit led. God was leading the people to do that. And Christian community is experienced holistically as believers share their daily lives together. Look at verse 46 again on your scripture. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So I want you to think about that. What would happen if you simplified your life? How many of you think that your life's too complicated? I've talked to so many families. They're running their kids or grandkids from sports league to sports league, team to team. And it's like by the time it's said and done, you only have one free day a week. How many of you can relate? And it's like, who made life so complicated? What, what would happen if we get back to simplicity? Actually sharing meals together around the table. Actually having a conversation. I don't know about you, but I, I lean towards simplicity. I don't want complexity. I don't want ten years to pass by and my kids are all grown up and like, what do we do? I took you to all the sports league, but we didn't really have any conversation. You didn't really hear daddy's heart and mommy's heart. So look at the early church. Things were simple. And what did they spend the bulk of their time doing? Meeting together. The challenge with American Christianity is we're so busy We don't have time for each other or we don't make time for each other. Right. And here's the thing. We make time for what we value. And here's what I want you to do is think about the two things that are eternal. You have two things that live forever is people and the word of God. Everything else comes and go. I'm a big sports fan myself. But listen, my Lakers, they used to be good. They're horrible now. Right. For years. And it's like, you know, you hear all the drama about LeBron. and It's like people come and go. Sports teams come and go. But relationships, people, these live on forever, right? Christian brothers and sisters coming together. So I want you to think about that in context of the church family. Look at your listening guide under community principle under point two. Worship is not just what you do on Sundays. Worship is an expression of your daily life. And here's the question. What would happen if you purpose in your heart not only to go to church on Sundays, but to be the living church in your everyday life? What would happen if you connected to other believers in your daily life? What would happen if you got in the habit of inviting other church members over to your house and share a meal during the week? What would happen if you invited people into your lives? Wouldn't that change your life? Wouldn't that change this church? All right, number three. What does a thriving community look like? It looks like this. A thriving church family is impacting powerfully Those in its community. So if you look at verse 24, excuse me, 43, skip down to verse 43. Notice the result of the church meeting daily, praying together, worshiping together, breaking bread, having community. It says, then fear fell upon every soul. So I want you to think about the watching world. These are some effects of if you really experience a church that lives like a church, a Christian who lives like a Christian. Here's some effects. Number one, you have wonder from a watching world. Notice the people were in awe. This is the idea they were watching in wonder. They were seeing miracles and signs and they were like, wow, this person just sold their house to help this poor person. Wow, this person's given their surplus. Wow, this church is coming together to meet the needs of the community. So here's the question we've got to ask ourselves as a church. If this church no longer existed, would the community miss us? If this church shut down tomorrow, would the community miss us? Or would there be a huge hole saying Arden is not Arden without Arden first? Think about that. We need to be so integrated with the lives of others that it makes impact. Another effect is God is at work in a church that daily lives out the gospel in the world. Notice that miracles and signs were done with the apostles. And I am here to encourage you that miracles and signs did not die with the apostles. You read on in Acts other people that weren't apostles, we see miracles and signs. We, When you read through the church history, study church history, you see miracles and signs. But here's the distinction. Miracles happen to point people to Christ, not to point people to the person praying for the miracle. If someone gets the glory instead of God, you got to wave a red flag. God still does miracles, but miracles are signs that always point towards who? Towards Jesus. Not to make someone wealthy, not to make someone famous, but so that Christ could be glorified. We also see the church is even respected by the community. Notice that it says praising God, skip down to verse 47, praising God and having what? Favor with all the people. Now, the community may not believe in your teachings, but they cannot deny the effect of a church that's living out the gospel. Imagine when homeless people are ministered to. Imagine when hungry people are given a meal. Can even a lost person complain about that? They're excited when they see you make a difference in the community. We see that outsiders become part of the family. Notice it says that the Lord added what? Daily to those who are being saved. And I go back to the original question. What would it look like if people gave their life to Christ every day? What would happen if you heard stories about a church member that led someone to Christ and God began to move in such a way? What would happen? What would a church like that look like? When I think about those questions... I'm reminded of a sociologist by the name of Tony. He was in a place called Honolulu, Hawaii. Anybody ever been there? That sounds really good, especially right now in the fall. And he was awake, you know, jet lag, whatever. He couldn't sleep. So at 3.15 in the morning, Tony makes his way to, down a side street to one of those... You ever heard of a greasy spoon restaurant? It's kind of not sanitary, but it's own place open. So he goes into this restaurant... He said the menu was so greasy and dirty, I dared not open up because I didn't know what would crawl out of that. So he asked the bartender, Harry, for a donut and a cup of coffee. So he's sitting there at 3.15, eating a donut, having a cup of coffee, wondering what he's going to do in Honolulu. And 15 minutes later, eight prostitutes walk off the streets. So here you have a sociologist. He's also a pastor. And four go on one side of them, four go on the other side of them. So you have this pastor that's in the middle of eight prostitutes. And they're talking about what happened that night and crude language. And he's like, oh, this is awkward. So Tony's getting ready to leave. When all of a sudden he hears one of the prostitutes sitting next to him. Her name's Agnes. She said, tomorrow I'm turning 39. And one of the other ladies said, what does that matter to me? You think I'm going to get you a birthday cake and sing happy birthday? And Agnes is like, please, just be nice to me. I just want you to wish me happy birthday. So they go their way. And Tony talks to Harry and he says, I got an idea. How about we throw Agnes a birthday party? I overheard her saying she's 39, never had a birthday. How about we throw her a birthday party? Does she come every night? And I said, yeah, every night, 3.30. Okay. So how about we'll decorate the place? Harry, you make the cake. I'll emcee the event. And we're going to throw a party for Agnes for her 39th birthday party. So... At 3.15, before Agnes shows up at 3.30, the entire restaurant, this seedy cafe is packed out with prostitutes all, from all over Honolulu. And here you have the pastor there is emceeing the event. Agnes comes through and they say, surprise! And they start singing happy birthday. Agnes is so overwhelmed with emotion. She's shaking. Her knees are knocking. Mascaras running down her face. And she sits down and they bring the cake to her and they're like, make a wish. Harry's like, come on, Agnes, we want to eat some of this cake. And she's like, can I take this two two doors down to where mom is? I want her to see my cake. And they're like, sure, it's your cake, Agnes. She she runs out the door and she shows her mom the cake. And now it's the pastor with all of Honolulu's prostitutes. Awkward silence in the room at 3.30 at the seedy cafe. The bartender's looking at him. They're like, awkward silence. What do we do? And he did what any pastor would do. He said, let's pray. So he prays for Agnes that she would come to salvation. He prays for God to be good to her. And as everyone was leaving and Tony and Harry were cleaning up the place, Harry says, you didn't tell me that you were a pastor. And he's like, I didn't, did I? He's like, listen, if there was any church, tell me what church you belong to. He's like, if there's any church that you pastor that throws a party for people like this, I would be the first to join that church. And isn't that how Jesus did his ministry? He hung out with people that were tax collectors and sinners The religious people didn't like it very much. They're like, what are you associating with this? But Jesus said, I didn't come for those who have it all together. I came for the broken. I came to seek and to save the lost. So what would what would it be like if we became that type of church? That not only ministered to those who were saved and insiders, but we had a heart for the lost. What if we are not a luxury liner? What if we're a battleship? What if we're not trying to build an audience, but we're trying to build an an army of Christ? What if we're not trying to say how big can we get in our seating capacity, but how well we could do with our sending capacity? What if we're not trying to just make converts, but we're trying to make disciples? What if we're not just focused on rows, but we're also focused on getting people in circles? I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church like that. So if you forget everything, I know you won't forget the last story. You'll probably talk about it coffee tomorrow. What's that story about the prostitutes and the pastor? But here's the big idea. Let's see the big idea on the screen. Today's big idea, if you forget everything, remember this one key concept. You are called to be an active part of a thriving church community. So you can no longer be satisfied just showing up church occasionally or being disconnected from community. But after reading Acts, it says they devoted themselves daily. So if you want to follow in the footsteps of the early church, it's not some distance, let's set up a meeting and I'll eventually connect with you. No, it's I want to live my life with you in community. So Eugene Peterson has this quote that really rattled me. I don't want to read it to you. This, this summarizes what we talked about, but he's in heaven now. But before he died, he said this. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community. Now listen to this last phrase. I am not myself by myself. And that's true even for the most introverted person in this room. You are not yourself by yourself. You are created for community. So today I want to have three challenges as we have our action steps before we close. The first one is for future members. What's a future member? You haven't joined the church yet. Your next step is to sign up to join the church. Well, how do I do that? We have a class called Arden Culture Class. It's basically we present our vision, our values, our history, where we're going, where we've been. And we give you a chance to join the church family. If you want to do that, just email the church office that they impose in your bulletin. The second step is if you're not in a circle, I want to challenge you. This is your two-week challenge. Try out two different small groups. And you're like, well, what if uh, I go to a group and then I try another one? Will the small group leader be offended? No, they're going to hear this message. They're going to try out different groups because there's going to be a group that really fits with you better than another group. And that's nothing personal against the leader. Try out two groups and realize that I am not myself by myself. True community doesn't happen in rows, but it happens in And circles. And finally, for those of you who are a church member, you've been involved in Sunday school or you've been committed for a long time. Do you ever say, I wish the church could do more of this? I wish the church could be more about that. Be the change that you see that church needs to be. Become that person. So if the church needs to be more evangelistic, you lead the way. If the church needs more small groups, you step up and lead a small group. If the church needs to be more generous, you lead the way. So whatever you see, that's actually a spiritual gift in disguise. Did you know that the greatest critics can become the greatest contributors? Whatever you see is lacking, you be that person. You be the solution to the problems you see. Amen? So next week, I just want to encourage you to come back. We're going to talk about the power of prayer. Prayer has the power to change things. Prayer brings God's will from heaven down to this earth. So next week, we're going to have, for some of you, a renewal of prayer. For others of you, it's like, I I struggle with my prayer. I need kind of the one-on-one. So come back next week as we talk about prayer. I am not myself by myself. Thank God for community. Let's pray. Father, I love the Word of God, how it's sticky, how it's transformative, how it, it clings to us. And God, we have to respond in some way. So, Lord, my prayer as we prepare hearts for this response time is that if we're not part of community, that today would be the step, I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to look at that handout the church gave out, and I'm going to I'm going to try out at least one or two different small groups. There may be some that are called to lead a group and that they see the church is growing, but we can't just grow in rows, we have to grow in circles. So if that's you, just tell God, help me to, to do what you're telling me to do. If you've been like the porcupine that's been needled to death and you've been hurt, tell God. Say, God, I'm hurt. And God, I'm sorry for isolating myself. I'm sorry for being detached from the Christian community. There may be someone online that you haven't gone back to church yet. And this has been the wake-up call, the invitation to come back. As the believers continue to pray and some confessing sins, um, there may be one here today that this is your first time here. You've been coming. And you saw Brandon get baptized and something inside of you sparked that you need to make that decision to accept Christ, that you've never asked Jesus to save you. Yes, you believe in Jesus, but you've never invited him to save you. If that's you right where you're sitting, I'm not going to embarrass you. I want you to say this prayer. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Say this prayer. Jesus, I do believe that you died for me and you rose again. And Jesus, I place my faith in you, what you did on the cross. Your death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus, save me. Just ask him right now, Jesus, save me. I invite you into my life. I want to follow you as your disciple. Please forgive me of all my sins. Take my sin, nail it to the cross. And Jesus, I choose to follow you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, let us know. And welcome to the family. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen.